Hey guys, welcome to the Emetophobia podcast. Um, today on the episode, I talked to Ava. She can be found over on Instagram at A-Y-V-A-B-E-H-M. Um, she's a singer. She also has uh, emetophobia as well. And we go into a lot of detail about her struggles going to college and um, just general emetophobia talk. So um, this episode is kind of, uh, the audio is a little messed up at the beginning because I uh, didn't have my headphones in and it started to echo a little bit, but it does get better um, throughout the episode. So um, maybe we'll record another one one of these days, but awesome episode. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, very talkative girl. So uh, a lot of information in this one. So I hope you guys enjoy and we'll see you in the episode. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Ava. Ava. My name's Casey. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Awesome. You will be my second person on the podcast ever. So that's exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Where are you from? So I'm from Pennsylvania, um, right outside of Philadelphia. How about you? I'm from Michigan area. I'm Northern Michigan near Traverse city. So Awesome. What's up? So, um, yeah, you want to just get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. Well, let's hear your uh, your story. Well, how the uh, metaphobia became a part of your life. So, I was born with a congenital birth defect called MALS, or Median Arcuate Ligament Syndrome. And this basically means that part of my diaphragm is compressing the celiac artery, which is the main source of blood to our stomach. And so without that blood source, so compression on like nerves in that area, um, basically since I was born, I've been um, chronically upset to my stomach, which has been a really difficult thing for me to kind of come to terms with that I've never perceived food in the way that everyone else does. I've always had instinctual fear around food because it makes me not feel well. And dealing with that growing up, I think mentally I've developed a lot of different coping mechanisms, but the main one being um, fear, really, my brain telling me, okay, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat, um, because you're going to get sick. And for me, um, I would always feel unwell, I would always feel nauseous, but I wouldn't actually get sick. And... So it was kind of this chronic feeling of like nausea. And so for me, if say a stomach bug was going around and I got it, then for the next few months, I would be in this sort of constant state of panic. Like, am I getting sick with something like with a stomach bug or something else? Am I actually going to get sick? Or is it just my chronic condition again, acting up, making me not feel well after eating like it always does. Um, and I've always been able to maintain an okay, um, you know, healthy weight, healthy BMI. I've been a little bit underweight. Um, but I would say the, the main issue has been the fear surrounding food rather than the chronic condition itself. It's more so like the, the constant fear that it has given me over the years. And um, I would say in high school, that's when everything uh, became its worst. I actually had to transition to online school because I wasn't eating at lunchtime with the other kids. I would come home and I would eat around like 
one or two in the morning when I would finally say, okay, like I need, I need something to eat. Like I can't let this fear control me. And that cycle would happen every single day, but in public settings or like with other people, I always did feel this sort of like, what if I do get sick this time? Like I don't want to get sick around other people. And um, sorry, I know I'm rambling on quite a bit. Um, but yeah, the, the, the general gist of it is had a chronic condition that was a, a physical thing. Um, and then over the years that manifested as a fear, um, particularly with um, emetophobia and just a fear of actually getting sick and being around anyone that was sick also was a huge trigger for me. And it definitely caused me to miss out on a lot in my life. If there was anything going around my area, like a stomach bug or anything like that, I would not leave the house. I would sort of just shut down. Um, and if one of my friends had it or anything like that, forget it. I was in a state of panic for days or weeks on end. Um, and so I'd miss out on a lot of stuff. Like I said, I online schooled during high school, partially attributed to my to the chronic disease, but also my fear controlling me. Um, and then flash forward to now, I'm in college. I go to Ursinus College right near my house. Um, and I, it's definitely been a journey there, going to college, um, having um, emetophobia as well as a chronic disease and trying to juggle that in school um, has been an adventure. But I'd say I've developed a lot of coping strategies that are healthy and I'm definitely in therapy and working through all of those things and doing better now. That's good. Wow, that's crazy. I've never heard of that before though. Yeah. That's crazy. So let's touch on that real quick, the college thing. I haven't talked to a lot of people about uh, going to college with emetophobia. What's that like? And what are, what's been the biggest hurdles you've uh, experienced so far? So it was honestly smooth sailing until a stomach bug was going around campus. Um, up until that point, I kind of lived in my own little bubble. You know, I wash my hands all the time. I'm super, super careful. Um, and I could, I felt like I had a control over everything. I really could control my risk. Um, and then my boyfriend developed a stomach bug one night when I was actually with him, we were hanging out and then he got sick and it all happened so fast. And suddenly I was in this position where I was taking care of someone who, you know, was unwell. And that was my biggest nightmare because in that situation, all I want to do is leave. I just want to go and get as far away as possible from whoever is sick because the, the sound, the sight of it, all of that is such a huge trigger to me. Um, and at that point, I actually, I was living on campus and I ended up going home and I was staying at my house quite a lot after that. Um, and this was like right before the pandemic started. Um, and then I was home like permanently, but at that time it definitely threw me for a loop and hearing that other students were also getting sick on campus. It just, I, I didn't want to be on campus and that made it really hard for me to get my work done. I was super distracted all the time and definitely way too anxious to eat food at the dining hall. Um, that was also a big issue. Um, I had to go to the grocery store, like get my own food, make all my own food or go home anytime I wanted to eat something because I was too scared to eat on campus. Yeah, that's great. How have you uh, coped with that so far? Is it just kind of uh, just keeping yourself as safe as possible and uh, trying to deal with it as best you can? Yes, definitely. 
Um, in regards to that instance, that was kind of like isolated. It happened all in the course of two weeks. There was something going around campus and then it died down. Um, and then shortly after in March, that's when the pandemic hit. And since then, things have been very difficult, but in a slightly different way, if that makes sense, just because like, you know, times are changing and it definitely, there's, you know, a whole set of obstacles with that. Yeah, let's talk on that real quick. How has the pandemic affected your emetophobia and your anxiety and everything? Well, I've seen a side of me come out that I haven't really seen in years. Um, I had a really great grasp on my emetophobia and other OCD-like tendencies, because when we talk about um, emetophobia, a lot of OCD behaviors are definitely associated with that. And I'm a psych major in college um, right now, so I've been learning a lot about my own mind and the minds of other people. And so I think for me, what really happened was I had a, a chronic disease and then I developed OCD tendencies to really try to like cope with that, um, which obviously aren't, aren't healthy. But when the pandemic started, I everything just went back to how it was. I couldn't go, you know, five minutes without washing my hands. I was petrified to leave the house to interact with other people. We had an option to go back on campus or do school virtually. And I, of course, chose virtual. So I've been home this whole semester. And so I've been isolated and dealing with OCD um, at a pretty extreme case of it at this time. But I'm making small strides in the direction of, you know, finding better coping mechanisms to use, um, like music. That's a huge thing for me. I've been working on music a lot, and that's helped to distract me and divert my attention to a better place. But it's been difficult. Yeah, you're doing all the right things, though. That's kind of my big thing, too, was um, once I started getting back into my passions again and really kind of trying to keep my mind off the emetophobia and and focus more. I'm a, I like to skateboard and I like to, uh, I, I've been building websites, trying to like build a business out of some things lately. And it's just kind of getting my mind off things has really helped me uh, cope with the pandemic. And it gives me something to do while I'm at home. You know, it's like, I don't just have to sit here and watch TV all day. I can be productive with everything. So that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, how has emetophobia held you back from the things you love to do in life? Um, I would say, at the root of emetophobia, that's, that's what it is. It's just, it's taking yourself out of situations to prevent what could go wrong. Um, and so all my life, that's a common theme. I'm afraid of the worst case scenario. I'm afraid of actually getting sick. Um, and so I just will stay home when I could be going out. If I'm feeling even the slightest bit unwell, um, I assume the worst. I assume that I am sick, that it's not just my chronic illness acting up that I'm actually sick um, and I won't go out. I won't. Um, I've missed out on just life in general because I've been home and I've missed out on so many opportunities that I could have, you know, gone and have been fine. Right, right. Yeah, I get the same thing. It's just 
as soon as uh, somebody says, hey, you want to hang out? And I, at first I'm like, yeah, sure. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. And then as soon as I know they're on their way to come get me, everything starts getting more anxious, more anxious. And then that anxiety builds up, makes me feel nauseous. And then it's just like this never ending cycle of feeling nauseous, being anxious back and forth and having a panic attack. And then when you try to explain it to people, they really don't understand what you're saying half the time. So it's like, they kind of just blow it off. Like it's no big deal. And it's like, no, it's such a big deal. Like you need to feel like, I need you to be here for me and support me in this. And like, they just kind of blow it off. Like, just, you know, just get over it type thing. And that, that was always my biggest problem was trying to explain it to people. So, yeah. And then, yeah, I missed out on a lot myself um, for sure. And it's, I had to drop out of high school. Um, when I, I, when I first got this, I was 17 years old and uh, I, I didn't really know what it was. I just kind of started freaking out about everybody around me. And um, when I go to high school, all I could focus on was everybody else. And if they were sick or if they were going to get sick or if, if somebody was nauseous or, and I couldn't focus on my work, my grades started to drop. And I just was like, you know, I, I need to get away from this. So then I just, I spent the next year and a half in my house and got away from everything. And I, it definitely changed my life for the worse. And I, I missed out on so much awesome stuff I could have been doing. And I ended up just kind of isolating myself. So I think that happens with a lot of us though, for sure. Absolutely. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I, I'm curious to hear more about your experience um, when it comes to triggers, because like you said, I think a lot of the focus is on other people and worrying about, you know, if they're unwell or what, you know, what's going on with other people. And I think there's always this like thought in the back of, of my head, at least when I'm hanging out in a group of people, like if anybody says the slightest like, oh, I'm not feeling well or my stomach hurts or anything like that, I sort of start to get this pit in my stomach myself yep. and I just wanna leave. And then that's kind of all I can ruminate on the rest of the time that I'm that I'm with everyone. And 99% of the time, um, everyone's fine and nothing yep. goes wrong, everything's okay. And I was just worrying unnecessarily, but um, do things like that happen to you? Do you, um, do you go to that worst case scenario and then ruminate on it? I do. And then I also end up um, asking like a million questions to that person. Like I have to know their life story for the last week and a half to make sure they're not completely sick or most of the time. Yeah. It's just, they ate too much food or they like drank too much soda or something and they just have stomach ache. But my mind goes to, they have like influenza or something. And then I, I'm just freaking out for the rest of the night. And all I can focus on is their safety for the whole night and to make sure that they're going to be okay. And I think over the years, um, I used to run away from it a lot and just be like, I, I need to get away from you. I don't want to be near you at all. But now I've kind of switched that in my mind to be like, well, I need to make them feel comfortable and not be sick. That's my goal. So I try to get them water. I try to get them a piece of bread or something like just as, and I always offer mints. Do you have a thing with mints and gum as well? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I got mine in my, my pocket right now. But uh, yeah, that's always my thing. It's like, here, have a mint. And everyone's like, why are you giving me a mint? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, just trust me. It will make you feel better. I promise. Like, it makes me feel better. So it's got to have to. So I try to kind of put the things that I do to myself on other people around me to make them feel better and more comfortable. So it's kind of the way I've justified it in my brain over the years. But yeah, I definitely get that as well, for sure. Absolutely. I think when we put altruism over egoism, because emetophobia is such a, a self centered thing if that makes sense like it's it's all yeah. happening within our minds um and other people can't see it and so i i know for myself a lot of times when i go to those places where i'm feeling really anxious i'm not paying attention to everyone else anymore i'm very much stuck in my head and it is so hard to put myself back into the moment i almost am like dissociating because 
I'm just in my own little world over here worried um, about the worst case scenario. And so I think, like you said, helping other people is a really great way to bring yourself back into the moment and kind of put shift your attention elsewhere. And it's helpful for not only the other person, obviously, but also helpful for yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I learned that with the kids, too, because like a lot of times they do just get like stomach aches from eating too much candy or something or just, you know, just stomach ache for any any reason. But I now focus all my energy on making them feel as comfortable as possible so they do not get sick. And it's it kind of takes my mind away from my own emetophobia and not thinking about uh, how I could get sick. It's just I put all my effort and time into that. And also going back to that, too, uh, I learned a lot about mindfulness and staying in the moment and not thinking about the present or the or, or the uh, past or the future and trying to uh, just take everything like in baby steps. So I always think like I need to make it the next five minutes. And then after that, the next five minutes, I just I break it down in these little increments so that I can stay focused on my my moment right now and not have to worry about the next, you know, two or three hours because I get so overwhelming trying to think about what's going to happen to that person in the next three hours and be like, oh, I mean, what if they get sick or what if they, uh, you know, actually do have a, a, an illness or the flu or something. And so it just makes it a lot easier to deal with at the time. So it's crazy. Yeah. But uh, okay. So how do you cope with your emetophobia on a daily basis? Um, it's definitely changed throughout the years. At the beginning, it was replacing unhealthy coping mechanisms with healthier ones. And therapy was a huge factor in helping with that. Um, I initially, when this was sort of taking over my life and I switched to online school during high school, um, I, I wasn't eating much because I was so anxious about getting sick on a daily basis. And again, there was that physical component there of like, I actually do not feel well a lot of the time, right, um, yeah. but I was letting it stop me from trying, from attempting to eat and at least get something down. Um, and I realized very quickly, like that is not a sustainable way to live. You know, food is nutrition. You need to take care of yourself. And so it started with small things like, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to have a snack and afterward I'm going to chew on like a ginger candy or chew on some gum and just kind of keep myself feeling like cool and refreshed. Um, I noticed that cold, like the sensation of coldness was also a big help and that might sound kind of strange, but if I was feeling even the slightest bit unwell, I would chew on some ice, things like that. And I know doctors like have patients do that in the hospital when they're not feeling well sometimes. Um, and so that definitely was really helpful for me. And I still do that. Like I'll still chew on ice if I'm not feeling well. Um, and then I also got, I just brought these over to show you, but I got these little like C bands. Um, and these go on, they're just little bracelets and they go on a pressure point on your wrist. Um, that's supposed to help with, um, like soothing the stomach and they're great for travel and things like that. And for motion sickness. So I would, if I had to go on a long car ride or something, I would just put those on. And even if they're not actually doing anything in my mind, I'm like, okay, right. well, this, this is a healthy way to cope. This is a healthy way to remind myself, like everything is under control. Like I have my C bands, like I have my gum and everything will be okay. And just like you said, taking it baby steps, like one step at a time, even if it's the smallest things, one night saying, okay, I know I'm feeling a little bit anxious, but I'm going to go out anyway. And I'm just going to see what happens. And I'll have, you know, uh, cause I was like 15 at the time. So I'll be like, okay, I'll have a ride in place. Like in case I do need to go home right away, 
Um, you know, I'll make sure like someone's there to pick me up if I need it. And just having that sense of like backup and that definitely helped me to like get back out there. Um, and now I am doing so much better. I, I would say um, day to day, I don't think about it anymore. I don't think about whether or not the people around me are sick um, in that way. Definitely with um, COVID and, you know, the whole pandemic going on, like that's its own set of fears that I'm yeah. now working through um, again with baby steps. Like I've, I've recently started to go out a little bit more. Um, even if it's like to pick up something from the store, just, you know, masking up and just going out for a couple minutes or taking a walk outside um, and just getting a little bit of air. So baby steps. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. Baby steps were important for me because I, I used to just feel so overwhelmed with how much stuff was involved with my day. And it was just like, I'd wake up in the morning and I just wouldn't want to leave my room because I was like, there's just too much stuff to do. There's too much scariness out there. And so trying to just focus on one task at a time has definitely helped me pay attention to what's going on instead of what's going to happen. You know, I like that. Um, also you touched on control a little bit. Um, I feel like th this whole situation is it, you have to really be in control of everything to feel comfortable. And I've learned over the years that like, for instance, like I have to drive myself everywhere. I can't ride in cars anymore. I have to be like in control of every situation. And I just, I think that's a thing that comes along with emetophobia is, that we, we feel like we have to be in control to feel comfortable. You feel that way as well? Absolutely. Control is the biggest thing. Um, and talking to my therapist about this, we came to the conclusion that the way this started for me was wanting a sense of control. I was feeling unwell all the time, no matter what I ate, no matter what I did. Um, and I just like to mention too, I actually just found out that I had this congenital birth defect, like chronic disease um, last year. So my whole entire life, I was feeling unwell and not knowing why and thinking that it was just in my head. And that was a huge thing for me. I would constantly beat myself up for that and, and be like, okay, what is wrong with me? Why do I feel so unwell all the time? Um, and that made it even harder and more scary for me, like not knowing what was going on. But yeah, I'm sorry, what was the question? Oh yeah, control, control, control. sorry. Um, but yeah, so my therapist and I discussed it and we said that, you know, control, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that I didn't feel well and I wanted to gain a sense of control of that. And so my mind was kind of looking for all of these possible things that I could do to gain control of the situation. And one of them was like, okay, well, I feel unwell, but I need to do everything in my power to make sure I don't actually get sick. And that suddenly became all I thought about. And so and then, yeah, that was pretty much how it started. So control is a huge part of it. For sure, yeah. I've noticed that too. A lot of people I talk to, they, they have a lot of control problems where if, they don't, if they're not in control of something, they just feel totally out of whack and they can't seem like they can control the situation. So I definitely see that. Um, so this is one that I like to ask. It's predominantly women in the emetophobia community, it seems like. And I just, uh, I keep asking people, why do you think that is? Why do you think that a lot of guys either don't come out and talk about it or or just don't get it in general? I, I haven't really met. The only two people I've met are, uh, that were guys were um, kind of younger guys in high school and they um, had only had emetophobia for a very short amount of time and they just realized they had it and they hadn't really looked too much into it. Nobody knows what they're talking about when they talk about it and they just feel like they have no support. So I just uh, wanted to see if you could weigh in on that real quick. Yeah, absolutely. So two things come to mind right away. The first is the possibility that 
men and women do have this condition equally because um, realistically, there's nothing really that would that would say like, you know, a, a reason as to why women would have it more. I think the real issue is that men are not as open to talking about it. They are kind of instilled with this sense of like, okay, you know, mental health problems, I have to deal with them on my own. They have to put on this persona of like, okay, I need to be strong. I need to be tough. And um, I've t I have a lot of male friends that are terrified to see a therapist because it doesn't feel, you know, manly to them. Um, they're afraid to kind of open up and talk about their feelings and um, their struggles. And so I think that's the, the bigger issue there is men are not opening up about it because of that stigma. Right. Um, and then the second thing is, like we talked about with control, um, psychologically, men's brains are wired a little bit differently than women's brains. And I think when women turn to control, they sort of go toward these, these fear, like anxiety um, ridden places and look for control through that. Men, on the other hand, their most common like emotion is anger. So when they, when they feel a lack of control, they'll usually turn to emotions of anger um, in that situation. And that's why men tend to be more, you know, more physical and things like that. So it's really just the, the different balances of, like, you know, the brain chemistry of men and women, it's just a little bit different. And so if it were an actual physiological thing that might contribute to it. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I don't know if you're into like true crime and stuff like that, but I started listening to a podcast called my favorite murder and it's got, uh, two women from California. And I think that, um, they like single-handedly convinced me to go see a counselor and stuff just because they're so open about mental health. And they're like, Hey, even if you're a guy, like go see a counselor. Like you have mental problems too, just like we do. It's not anything different. Like, and uh, so I, I learned I, I could get health insurance here in Michigan. So I got free health insurance through the state of Michigan and I got me a counselor. And it's been like the, the most life-changing thing I've ever had because now I have somebody every week I can go to and just be like, here's my problems. And she specializes in emetophobia and OCD disorders and stuff. So she's just super understanding, understands where I'm coming from. She's learned everything she can about it. So um, she just gives me all these new coping mechanisms and everything. And then my girlfriend too, she's, she's also has some anxiety problems as well. And so just kind of seeing her be open about that with me and talk to me about those things. And she's, she's the one who taught me about mindfulness originally. And, uh, just, I think a lot of guys kind of don't want to listen to girls' opinions for some reason, but it's like, I mean, girls are pretty damn smart. I mean, you guys know what's up with the, the whole mental health situation. So it's like, I, I think that more people should listen to, uh, women here and there when they, when they need some help with their mentalities. So definitely a good thing for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. As a woman, I appreciate that. Um, and I'm really glad that you did that you did reach out to a therapist. I think more men definitely need to do that and need to know that there is no shame in mental health issues. And, uh, you know, mental illnesses are definitely not something that is uh, you're, you're to blame for. Um, it's definitely just uh, something that happens to everyone, really. We all have we all have mental health struggles. I personally think anyone can benefit from a therapist, at least at one point in their lives, when they're going through a hard time or struggling with a a long term mental illness. I think there should there should be no stigma around therapists. Right, and I mean it's just good to have somebody to talk to who can just sit there and listen to you for a, a half an hour to an hour and just 
you can just bitch at them for a minute, you know, it just feels good. It feels good to get everything out that's been bothering you during the week. So, and a lot of guys don't have a lot of people they can talk to because their friends don't care about their problems and they're just going to make fun of them anyway. So it's like, it's nice to have somebody to talk to for sure. So, yeah. Um, so have you picked up any weird fears? Um, like for instance, I have like the whole, I have to check food and, and make sure it's not a date or I have to uh, definitely wash my hands a lot more, or I have to, you know, like we said, ask people about if they've been sick in the last couple of weeks or so, if you have to go hang out with them, what kind of weird fears have you picked up over the years with this uh, condition? So very similar to you. Um, they're all very OCD centered fears um, that come along with it. Checking dates on everything. I still to this day do that. Um, and I don't even think twice. I don't think like, oh, that's an metaphobia thing, but it is. I do check the dates on everything. Um, I also, what was the other one that you said? Do you check dates on everything? Uh, wash my hands. Yeah, um, I do that one as well. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, oh, about the dates thing. So when my mom cooks, I go down and visit her sometimes and she'll cook me dinner and she's a kind of like a pack rat type lady. So she doesn't like to throw things away. So I, and her fridge is just packed full of stuff. So it's like, she'll make me dinner. And then after she makes it, I have to go in the fridge and check the dates on the stuff she just used to make it with. And she gets so offended by that. Like, you really think I would make you sick? And it's like, I'll, sometimes I'll find something that's out of date. And I'm like, look though, I mean, I'm not stupid. I, I know that you do this sometimes. Have you ever had people kind of get on your case when they cook you food and you're like, ask them all these questions about it. And they're like, why are you so, you know, concerned about what this was? And they just don't understand. Does that happen to you too? Absolutely. My mom and I, at this point, we'll joke about it. I'll be like, did you check the date on the milk? I don't know. Does it smell a little weird to you? Do you think it's okay? Yeah. And my mom will be like, no, Ava, I gave you poisoned milk or I gave you, right, spoiled, right. you know, I gave you spoiled food. Like um, now, now it'll kind of be a joke. But I think when I was younger and the people around me didn't quite understand what was going on, they were kind of like, okay, you're asking a lot of questions. Like, no, I would not give you, you know, food that had gone bad. Like, um, and I, and I try my best to be respectful about it. I, I definitely don't want to offend anybody, um, about their cooking and like insinuate that they would use, um, food that has gone bad because, and I think that's definitely a misconception. It's not like I'm assuming that everyone around me is careless and has, you know, been around people that are sick and are, are sick themselves and not being responsible and like, you know, serving me bad food. Like I definitely am. It, it's something internal that I like, I have to check in order to feel comfortable. And it has nothing to do with the other people that are preparing my food um, or anything that they did. I think it, it's just a later on type thing, because if I don't ask now, I'm going to think about it all night after I eat this food. That's kind of where I come from with it. It's just, it's just one of those like fail safes. So now if later I feel nauseous, I can at least say to myself, well, she didn't use any bad food. Like I know that for sure. So it's gotta be something else. It's just one of those ways we can justify it for sure. So, but uh, yeah, back to the weird fears. Anything else you've picked up uh, that normal people don't usually do, but it's just a fear that you have. Um, there's so many. So I, I would say that the main, the main fear for me, and I'm, I'm finally getting over this now and doing a lot better with it. Um, was actually whether or not foods went together. And I say that in quotes because it really only made sense to me. But for instance, if I started my day off with something a little bit heavier, like, um, I don't know, like pancakes or something, something with like carbs, um, sure. then at lunchtime, I would have to have like fruits or vegetables. I couldn't have more carbs because 
in my mind, having that much of something like would make me sick. And mm -hmm. so I, I kind of developed all these rituals around food to make sure that I wasn't eating anything like, uh, at certain times or like, uh, next to each other. Like it, I just was very, very particular and that made things very difficult when I went out to eat, um, yeah. which I eventually I stopped doing. I, I didn't really go out to eat at all because I knew, okay, I'm, well, first of all, there's, I can't check the dates on anything. Um, and I had trouble trusting like the restaurant and stuff because I couldn't check anything myself. So I was nervous that like something could have gotten contaminated in the kitchen. Um, obviously like food poisoning is a huge fear, um, in people with emetophobia. So yeah, that was probably the biggest thing. I, had trouble when I would go out to restaurants or anything like that. Um, and I'd say the other thing was just certain, like certain smells and certain tastes of foods would then put me off for the rest of the meal. Like if I was eating a, a fruit bowl and there was like one piece of fruit in there that was like, and I just knew it tasted off and like bitter and possibly like had gone bad or something like that. Um, I would feel so bad wasting, but I almost had no choice because I wasn't going to eat the rest of the bowl. There was no way I would just ruminate on it the rest of the day and have a panic attack and it wouldn't be good. So I would have to waste food a lot and back. I do feel bad about that, but it all came from fear. Sure. No, I do the same thing. Yeah. Especially, yeah. With that fruit, like canned fruit and stuff. If you get one little mushy piece, you're like, Nope, can't eat it. I'm like, sorry, but I just got to throw it away. Um, I don't want to ruin things for you, but I used to work in restaurants a lot. And so I know what happens in restaurants sometimes and I know how gross they can be. And so that's, that definitely ruined it for me because I worked in restaurants during my like worst days of my emetophobia. So it's just, some of the stuff that happened there just kind of ruined everything for me. But now I'm a lot better. I can definitely eat out. I actually had a medium uh, cooked burger today at the restaurant. I just, I feel totally normal. It's just, I, I, and that's taken me years and years of just eating those things that were scaring me all the time. I just take small bites of it and kind of sit and wait for a minute. And then I take another bite and then another bite. And then sometimes I get nauseous. Sometimes I didn't. It just kind of depended on the situation. But um, yeah, over the years, I've definitely been a lot more comfortable with eating foods that are, I mean, I, I don't want to say undercooked, but, you know, normally, like, when we have emetophobia, we like to burn things or cook them so much that we, we know they're not going to make us sick. And now I'm just like, I want to enjoy my food now. And that's, it feels so much better to be able to do that. So that's awesome. So um, what advice do you have for people who have anxiety or emetophobia? My advice would be to take small steps. I feel like when people are, are struggling with uh, immunophobia, they immediately think, okay, well, I need to, you know, I, I can't let this stop me. I need to get back out there. I, I need my life back. Um, but putting yourself in a situation where you know you're going to be very uncomfortable all at once is not the way to go. That will most likely lead to a panic attack and a breakdown and it won't be pretty. I definitely would recommend taking very small steps and making sure that there's always a backup plan in place. For example, if you are going to a party, you're going out with friends and you haven't been out in a while and maybe it's 
you know, it's flu season or something and you have like this heightened anxiety, um, don't expect yourself to go and stay the whole night. Make sure that you've been in contact with somebody that, that cares about you, that can come pick you up if need be. I think having that sort of reassurance and support is the best thing that you can do. Um, and my other piece of advice would be just that, having a support system and actually being open about it, whether it be to a close friend or a therapist would be also be really great. Um, and just being open to experiment and find what works for you. It is not a, you know, end all be all like you find one solution and then that works for everyone. Definitely it's unique to every person with the condition. For sure. Good advice. That's really good advice. I've been really preaching the baby steps thing lately. I, I think a lot of people kind of gloss over that a little bit. And it's it's one of the most important things when you first start off with your recovery. So something to touch on for sure. Um, I want to touch on the music thing for a minute. How did you get into music? Um, well, growing up, my, my dad was a drummer. And so he always played really great music, like just around the house. He exposed me to a lot of oldies and like just some really great music from back in the day. And my music taste just kind of grew from there. Like, I, I don't know, I always really enjoyed alternative music and indie music. And I started piano lessons when I was six years old. Um, and then from there, I taught myself guitar. I started to sing and write songs. And as of right now, I've released a full album and two EPs. And I got a job at a music school part-time um, for while I'm in college. So I give piano lessons to little kids. It's the most adorable thing in the world and I wouldn't awesome. trade for anything. Um, so yeah, that's been, my, that's been my journey with music and it's been a huge coping mechanism for anxiety and my chronic illness. Awesome, where can people find your music at? So my album, Open Love Letter, is on Spotify as well as Apple Music. Um, and then my EP is on SoundCloud, just under my name, Beam. Gotcha, gotcha. That's awesome. No, I, I do the, um, I used to mess around with Fruity Loops with a big MIDI controller keyboard and, and make like little rap beats and like EDM music and stuff like that. So I think there's something to that with music and uh, people with anxiety and, and OCD disorders. I think it's kind of like a fun controlling thing you can do to just uh, make yourself feel more comfortable. And, and then like you can make your own, uh, your own music, which is, is just something that it's just so different compared to listening to other people's music. You know what I mean? Because it takes a lot of time and effort to make your own music for sure. That's a lot awesome. of fun. And it definitely goes back to the control thing because when we want, when we have so much control over this one area um, and it's an unhealthy type of control, I think music, if you're writing your own music, you can make it any way you want. Um, yeah. The sky's the limit. And so you can kind of divert your control to a healthier place. And it did help me with my metaphobia at first because um, I could really focus on like, okay, I got this, this thing in my head. I want to, I want to make it an actual song. And so then my next couple hours would just be only thinking about how I can get that out of my head and into the computer and make it sound good. And so it definitely helped out a lot for sure. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we head out? Um, yeah, actually, I want to, I wanted to touch on briefly because I don't think that that's something that's talked about enough with anxiety disorders. 
Um, for a lot of people, it isn't just cut and dry one diagnosis. And I know maybe you've um, dealt with this as well. Um, with emetophobia, people tend to ha also have OCD or anxiety or depression, and these disorders kind of all go hand in hand. And so treating your emetophobia might not be as simple as, you know, exposure therapy, like exposing yourself to images or videos of people getting sick and, you know, getting back out there slowly. There might be other things stopping you as well. If you have struggled with emetophobia for quite a long time and have been isolating yourself, you may also be in a depression. Um, and for me, I had other issues going on that I needed answers for physically, like why do I feel sick all the time? Um, and I had to be persistent about that and ignore the, you know, it's all in your head notion. I had to really like seek out and advocate for myself um, help. Um, and finally, I got to the bottom of what was wrong with my stomach and what was going on there. And so I just want to remind anyone listening that um, definitely don't give up on yourself. Put yourself first and advocate for yourself, even if it's tiring and you feel like time has gone by and you've gotten nowhere with your conditions, put yourself first because you definitely are worthy of the help and you're worthy of getting better. Super duper good advice. I like that. I want to touch on that too, for one second. Um, I remember when, when it was like really, really bad and, and like, I keep touching back on like when my emetophobia was bad, but um, I think all the the bad things that happened to me while while I was going through the emetophobia then set me up so I could actually go down my road to recovery because um, I felt the same way where I was just like it's been a year and a half and it feels exactly the same but I had gone through so many traumatic experiences and I think just the the act of going through them and knowing that I'm still alive I'm not sick I didn't die nothing happened I didn't have a heart attack like it just I, I it, it set me up so that I could then spend a lot more of my time focusing on, well, okay, so now let me go and see if I can do it some more and see if I can keep doing it. And it's only been maybe two years now since I've been a normal person in quotations, but um, I can go out, I can go to work every day. I have a full-time job. I have a family. I mean, I'm doing all the normal stuff normal people do and I don't get sick anymore. I don't think about everybody getting sick around me. I don't think about myself getting sick. I rarely get nauseous anymore unless it's an actual thing to get nauseous from, you know, if I eat too much food or eat the wrong thing sometimes it'll make my stomach hurt a little bit but I can then justify that in my brain and say well I'm not going to be violently ill somewhere or have like the flu or anything I'm just you know I'm a normal person now and um that's just like what I want to advocate for other people too is to to say that it's not going to be like this forever like you can get past this it's not like you're going to be stuck like this for your whole life um but it, it's all about putting your um, self out there and being uncomfortable and, and working on yourself as much as possible. And the self-happiness thing, I was depressed for a long time. And um, since I've been working on my self-happiness and my self-worth and being like, I'm a worthy person to be on this earth still, um, it's really changed my mind about how I thought about my emetophobia to be uh, more positive than negative about things. And that's, that's why I want to start this podcast and the page and everything and kind of just get some awareness out there and just tell everybody, because I've had like overwhelming messages telling me, dude, I didn't even know other people had this. Like, how did you find me? This is so crazy. And it just makes me feel so good that um, I'm just raising awareness to the people who have no idea what they even are going through, you know, and that's, it's such a scary thing. And I don't want anybody to feel like that anymore. So oh, yeah. I think it's a really great thing that you're doing. Um, the page popped up on my Instagram feed. I was just scrolling through and I saw this page and I clicked on it. And I was like, there's a page for this. <laughs> like, this is something I, I've been going through my whole life. And there's been ups and downs. But 
when you're in the moment, it it's a it feels like forever in the moment. Um, and over time, it's a roller coaster of ups and downs. And then it's not until you look back that you can see all the progress you've made. You're not going to see it in the moment. In the moment, it truly does feel like forever um, that you've been struggling. But once you know time has gone by and you can actually reflect and look back, and I, I mean, I feel so proud of myself now just for the progress that I've made over the past few years and being able to go out now with friends and not think about getting sick all the time. It's a huge um, step ahead from where I was before. And so I, and seeing your page, it just made me really reflect on that again. And it was such an uplifting, positive environment. And just seeing somebody be so open about it, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. And I'm really excited to see where the page is headed. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I also have a website too, um, emetophobias.com. So if you want to check that out, I've been writing blog posts slowly. I also run another website and another podcast as well and stuff. So I, I don't have a ton of time for everything, but I try to get as much out as possible so people can get more awareness. And uh, I think what I'm going to start doing too is just I'll do the podcast and then I'll write a blog post right after that about the podcast and kind of get it all summed up. So I'm hoping to help as many people as possible. So it's awesome. It feels really good. I've been, and I have had not a single negative thing said to me this entire time. So that's like, it just keeps me going every day to be like, you know, I'm actually helping people and it feels really good. So um, where can people find you at? So my Instagram is my name, Ava Beam. I also have a music account on Instagram, avabeam.music. And that's pretty much all my social media um, online. I mean, I do have a Facebook as well. It's again, just my name. Yeah. Sure. Um, but I, and I don't typically post about um, emetophobia or health on my Instagram, but I do try to keep it in honest, uplifting environment on there. Sure. Well, maybe somebody will reach out and, and want to talk about it one day or something, you know, it's awesome. So absolutely. I'm always open for DMS. If anybody ever wants to talk about this with me further, I'm always open to that. Cool. cool. Well, Ava, it's been really nice meeting you and uh, hopefully we'll have you on the podcast again. And we'll talk again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. We'll talk to you again. Have a good night. Talk soon. Good night.